Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Thank you, Lord, that you are here, unseen, but very, very powerfully present with us. And as you come and visit with each one of us, one by one, we ask you, Lord, for those of us who need you to do just this, to pick up the pieces, put us back together. Thank you for the personal attention you give to us one by one. I pray right now, Lord, that you would meet with me and speak through me from your word that you spiritually, Lord, would take the words I use and wing them into the hearts and minds of those that you are calling. And the pieces that you are gathering, putting back together, the healing we need in our hearts, our relationships, our own view of who we are, and what your plans are for us. Thank you that you have good plans, that you are a gracious, very gracious and loving God. Take my lips right now, Lord Jesus, and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. Take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. So for us who are here together as we worship and those watching online, make these special moments because we meet with you. Thank you, Lord. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. It's great to be back with you all. You may not know it, some of you, but uh, three weeks ago I was lying in a hospital having had a car wreck, rented car out in Illinois. I was driving back to the airport having done a, a memorial service for an old friend, uh, had gone to the reception, was making my way back to O'Hare and hit a concrete barrier, a low concrete barrier that somehow I just completely missed in the middle of a two-lane highway right at a railroad crossing. So I ricocheted off that, ended up with my front wheel up over the railway track. Uh, Bags went off, and uh, I look out through the window that I can see across the way from me, 
See, I'm on a railway track, and I think I better get out of here. A couple of women following saw what happened, came, opened the door, helped lift the bags out of the way, got me out of there, got me into a, an emergency vehicle and off to the hospital. And off the, over these three weeks, I've been going through a very slow recovery from back pain, got a compressed vertebrae, maybe a couple of cracked ribs, but it's great to be back, and I want to thank you who have sent cards, assuring us of your prayers, Kathy and me. Thank you. It's been an encouragement to read those cards one by one together over our morning devotions and cup of tea, and pray for you as you are praying for me. So thank you. And I'm thrilled to be back and like doing well enough to be up here and preaching. Because uh, God is good. The car was destroyed. Uh, that was the end of that rental. But uh, wonderfully, again, I have survived and thrilled to be back. And we're still back into John's Gospel, Chapter 1. I know you had a phenomenal time with Pastor Ed last week. And God really uses him and speaks through him. He's vacationing with his family this weekend down in South Carolina. But we're constantly in touch and I was thrilled to hear of how the Lord moved amongst you. Well, may he so move this morning as we come back to John's Gospel, chapter 1, and this prologue. A prologue is a kind of introductory narrative to whatever the book is that you're reading. And it is that kind of introductory narrative to John's gospel. So he begins by saying, in the beginning, we've gone over this, was the word. And that word literally means either the logic or the reason, the rationale. It's not just a word spoken, but a truth spoken through that word. And that word that was in the beginning is given a personality. He was with God. It's really speaking about Jesus. And that word, though with God, was also God. So you're speaking of a multiplicity of personality within the Godhead, which is leading to the creedal statement that we made about believing in God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it says that the Word was not only with God, but was God, and all things were made by Him. And everything that was made was made by Him. And you begin to realize that Jesus is a genius. He's not just Jesus meek and mild like in a pastoral scene with a shepherd's staff and a little lamb or two around him. But he is the great author as well as the finisher of what our creation is. And he's at work in it today. Holding it together, it not only exists because of him, but it consists through him says the scripture, holds together. And that's Jesus. So when we come to this verse 14, it becomes explicit. 
that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's the incarnation. It's coming out of the Latin, you remember chili con carne? Chili con carne is chili beans with meat, ground beef normally. That's the carne. And the carne in the incarnation is God in the flesh. As it says here, God incarnate, inhabiting humanity and coming and living amongst us. That's who this word is, this rationale behind the whole of creation. And it says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now next week we'll be looking at the truth factor. This morning we're going to be looking at the grace factor, full of grace. And there is a word that talks about this fullness in the original Greek, pleroma is the word, which goes on to explain them when you read further. It says, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this is he of whom I said, he comes after me. So John was John the Baptist, a forerunner. He comes after me, but was before me. And from the fullness of his grace, there's that thought again, the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Another translation has blessing upon blessing. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace is one of those amazing words. We use it in several ways. Of course, we talk about saying grace at a meal. But that's what we're asking God to do is to grace our meal, our dining together with his presence. Bless our dining and our fellowship around the meal. We call it a grace. But grace is a much bigger word. And when it speaks about the fullness of his grace, one Greek scholar has made it clear that the word pleroma, the fullness of his grace, is the sum total of all that God is. When it says he was full of grace and the fullness of his grace, which we have all in some sense received, if we know and love that Lord Jesus, that fullness is really the absolute essence, presence, sum total of who God is. So when we speak about receiving Jesus, like earlier in this text, Jesus who made everything came into the world, it says, and the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own, the Jewish people, and they didn't receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave power, that is authority, to be children of God, to become children of God. And that's a magnificent transformation. 
So much so that in another part of the Bible it says it's like being made a new creation. In another place it speaks about being born again, regenerated, made new. And that happens not because of some mini-Jesus somehow coming in to influence us. But it is this Lord in whom the fullness of God dwelt. Listen to how the Apostle Paul speaks of this, this concept. I'm looking at the epistle to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 19. Listen to these words. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, that's the word, pleroma, his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Further, in chapter 2 of Colossians, listen to these words. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ. So this fullness, this sum total of all that God is, in Christ, present in human form here on earth, was crucified in all his innocence and power and authority. He laid it all down. As he said himself, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And he did that for us to win us so that he might come and dwell in us and lift us, put the pieces back together, lift us up to get the, the guilt, the weight, the failure off our backs just as we were singing earlier. To somehow start again, I went back in my mind to those first days of my becoming a believer. Out of a godless family with no prayer and background in the family end up asking Jesus into my life. And sometimes we tend to deal with that as a, like a, a trite little saying, a trite little action, something we kind of add to ourselves. When we're speaking about Jesus in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwelt and he lays down his life for us, it's no wonder that as he died and took on the sin of the world, it came over dark and rocks cracked. It's like an earthquake and thunder. It was an immense event. God himself in Jesus taking on all our broken sinful rebellion so that we could be healed and forgiven and put back together and reconciled and live a completely different wholesome, purposeful, joyful life. That's not some miniature little faith 
in the corner of the planet somewhere. That is earth-shattering change in our lives. And that's what God pulls off. And when it speaks about when he comes in, he brings that fullness with him. So of that fullness we receive. That is so huge. That is eternity-changing, immediately life-changing, family-changing, vision-changing, transforming who we see ourselves to be as God himself transforms us from the inside out. So that fullness, you know, we've, we've been calling this series unquenchable. No way to dampen down the spirit, no way to put out the light of God's goodness and grace. It shines on, unconquered, even in a dark, dark world. But what we have here is the, uh, not just unquenchable, but as one scripture expresses it, inexpressible riches of God's grace, beyond expression. And in this sense, it's absolutely eternal. It doesn't shrink. It's who he is. It's got that quality that we call inexhaustible. He never gives up. That's one of the songs we sing here from time to time. He never gives up. He never gives up. He never gives up on me. His grace is inexhaustible. That's the fullness of it. Now, two aspects of grace, and we're done here this morning. First is this, what we call saving grace. The grace that brings us to the cross. The grace that transforms us at the cross. Grace, if you spell it out, G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches, but at Christ's expense. The riches of God become ours, paid for by Christ. So what the Bible says, this is in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, by grace we are saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, listen to these words, it is a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast or think that they can achieve, in other words, themselves, the kind of salvation that God offers. It's by grace, God's riches at Christ's expense through faith in Jesus Christ. And it all comes as a gift. Now, a gift is a gift is a gift. You don't earn a gift. You receive a gift. You can't work for a gift. If you work for it, it's something you've earned. A gift is given freely. There is another passage of the Bible that says this. The wages of sin is death, that's what we've earned. They're the wages we've earned. 
The wages of sin is death. That is hell. Separation from God. Here and eternity. That's what sin does. Alienates us. Brings judgment on us. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The free gift. Some of us really struggle with the idea that it has to be a gift. We feel like we've got to do something for it. Pay somehow for it. Gave birth to the idea of purgatory. There is no purgatory. Because Christ has paid for in full for all our sin and judgment that we deserve. All we can do is receive it as a gift and we rebel against that because we know we have been such miserable failures. The temptation is for us to think of like God having great scales and in one side he puts everything that we've done that's wrong and everything on the other side that we've done that's right and we hope that come the end the good outweighs the bad. It's kind of a human way of looking at it. But it's not God's way. In fact, if that were the way, you're cooked already. There is no way you're going to do enough good to outweigh the bad, because we keep doing bad stuff anyway. What God does is take the bad. He's nailed it to the cross with Jesus. And the good is just what we do in response to a free gift we receive. When Jesus died on the cross, and this is John's gospel again, his last great cry from the cross is this, it is finished. And again, the Greek word there means paid for in full. It's tetelestai is the word. And that's a word that was used when a contract was signed and paid for, tetelestai would either be stamped in the clay or written on the papyrus in that Roman Empire of that day, saying, Tetelestai, paid for in full. On the cross, Jesus paid for in full. That's why his grace is so amazing as we sing of it. It's extraordinary. It's so magnanimous. And it's free to us, expensive to him, but free to us and offers us as a gift. The free gift is an eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's God being gracious. So what did we read? Listen to these words again. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself, that's us, all things making peace, reconciliation, through his blood shed on the cross. That's a gift. And all you can do with a gift is receive it. We give gifts to each other. We never ever say, well, what's that going to cost me? At least I hope not. I mean... 
What kind of a gift receiver are you? A gift is a gift is a gift. God offers to us a gift paid for by Christ. That's God being gracious, God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's a gift that he gives to us. And you can receive it and walk out of here with it. I mean, the exuberance with which I received that gift once upon a time transformed the rest of my life and brings me even to this day. As does this second thought about what grace is, and that's sustaining grace. That is, grace that keeps us is inexhaustible, and God constantly makes available to us. One of the early verses, I'll read it to you so that you know I'm really reading it out of here because it's extraordinary, is Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Listen to these words. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy, which is a part of God's grace, and find grace, further help, grace to help us in our time of need. A throne of grace. I mean, I was born and raised in England. And the throne of England represents power. And in my childhood, it represented an empire around the world. I remember in my first geography class, the teacher showing us a map of the world and every part of it that was pink in those days, which included Canada, parts of South America, huge tracts of Africa, Australia, New Zealand, anything that's pink is part of the British Empire. She said, it's ours. But the throne, the throne of the crown of England represents all that power worldwide in those days. This throne is described as a throne of grace. Yes, Jesus is powerful. Almighty God is all-powerful. But to call it a throne of grace, thereby making God approachable. In fact, the older translation says, come boldly to his throne of grace. That is with confidence. Not sort of mealy-mouthed, kind of weak and pathetic, even though we may be. But because of God's extending grace to us from a throne of grace, we can come into his presence and seek both mercy on the one hand for what we've done and help in our time of need on the other. About a week ago, I guess I was at my lowest because when you get back pain and all your muscles get torn up in your back, as well as uh, vertebrae, and I think I've got a couple of cracked ribs as well. In fact, I'm going to have another bone scan tomorrow morning. But I was at the lowest of the low about a week ago. Now, by myself in my bedroom, I'd gotten off of the uh, opiates, the opioids. I was dealing just with uh, Tylenol, trying to deal with the pain, 
feeling discouraged. Then I start crying out to God absolutely aloud, saying, your grace is sufficient for me. Just like the Bible says of Paul, he called out to the Lord and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. I cried out, Lord, your grace is sufficient for me. I can do all things through you, Lord Jesus. I can deal with this, with you. And I'm crying it out, like shouting almost to myself as well, to gear myself up to believe what I know the Bible teaches. And that was a turning point. Began to climb out of that trough of despair. Here I am a week later, three weeks after being in the hospital, standing here talking to you. And it's been a great thing for me to get your cards and your prayers, to know that you are with me, my wife. It's great to be loved by this congregation. But if you haven't gotten connected so that you can know that same love for yourself, that's a real encouragement. Those classes that we're advertising or an opportunity in a smaller setting to get to know other believers as well as other teachers. Deal with some real stuff in your life, but also build relationships. Very important part of our knowing that we are loved by God and by each other. My wife says of this church, wherever we travel, wherever life takes us, she says, I'll tell you two things about Christ Church. Because people say, what kind of church is your church? My wife, Kathy, will say two things. One, our people love God, and two, they love each other. That's a pretty comprehensive statement. It's a blessing and it's true, and for you who are sort of feeling somewhat isolated, you need to get connected. Because there are people wanting to love you, all they've got to do is get to know you. And that's part of the fellowship and family of God. You don't have to go it alone. And I'm so deeply grateful for the Lord himself and folks just like you who bring us through, see us on our way. It's a throne of grace. God is gracious. Let's pray together and talk to this Lord. Some of you in your own minds, it crossed my mind even as we were singing and worshipping earlier, can look back on a day when you felt closer to the, the Lord. Somehow you have gotten distanced. Some of you are here because you've left another church where you deeply were deeply wounded and hurt and you're hesitant to get connected and committed again others of you are here through friendships that have been encouraging to you you somehow thought to yourself boy I'd really like to have whatever my friend has well it's Jesus and he is here and he's here for you So, Lord Jesus, since you know our hearts, and you 
wait at the doorstep of our lives to come in and shed abroad in our lives your graciousness. Somehow, the totality of who you are, Lord, in us, fill those dark corners in our lives with the light of your presence. Do your redeeming healing work in the misery of memories that just drag us down. Take the pain of broken relationships, misguided decisions, rebellious hearts, and heal us, Lord. Redeem us, buy us back, bring us back. Put those pieces together, Lord. That's our prayer, even this very morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.